Amen. And that's uh, no outline tonight, just a study, one word in the Bible, and we're just going to kind of chase this thing through. We're not going to be able to look at each one of the 58 references, but let's start in Genesis chapter 27, Genesis chapter 27, and uh, this is the first mention uh, of this word in, in the Bible, and again, uh, just a general rule, if you're trying to study something in the Scriptures, uh, start where the Lord starts. Uh, uh, it's often called the law of first mention, and it kind of just gives us an idea here. And so, let's just read the verse, and then we'll pick up the context. Verse 40, it says, and And by thy sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And so the the word that we're looking at tonight is the word yoke in the Bible, Y-O-K-E, not to be mixed up with Y-O-L-K, which comes from eggs, all right? Uh, uh, they're pronounced the same way, but uh, they are different words. And uh, I'm sitting here going, wow, uh, where is that? And then I remembered, oh, they're spelled differently. So I looked it up and made sure here. But let's go back and pick up the context. And uh, let's look at verse 38. Jacob had just stolen the blessing by... Uh, his following his mother's instruction and deceived Isaac... And Isaac has said uh, in verse 35, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And uh, uh, then we come here to verse uh, 38. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, my, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be with the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live, and thou shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have dominion, thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And so we have a figurative use here. Uh, The word yoke just simply means uh, an attachment. If you've ever been to any old farm or any place where um, they deal with uh, uh, animals and things, you will see yokes. Many years ago, we we took the children up to the Phillipsburg Manor. It's right on the uh, Hudson River as you uh, go up the east, uh, yes, the east side of the river, and it is a Dutch uh, uh, grist mill or flour mill that uh, dates back to the late 1600s. And uh, it's really a neat place to, to just visit. I don't remember how much it cost there, but yeah, I, I do remember that uh, we got uh, several little sacks of very expensive cornmeal uh, and wheat flour uh, that uh, we brought home and mom made into biscuits and cornbread and things. And it was uh, it was very, very good uh, as long as you didn't get a piece of rock in there from the grindstone. But, I mean, it was the way it was. And they had 
uh, a yoke of oxen there. That uh, They had two of those animals. And a yoke is a permanent, a solid connection. Um, in modern day usage, uh, how many of you have ever looked underside a rear wheel drive vehicle? You have the engine sitting up in the front and then the transmission and then you have this long uh, shaft that has an angle that goes to the back axle that takes the power from the engine. That's called a drive shaft. Well, the, the drive shaft, in order to have that angle attached to it, has to have a yoke and it spins uh, and it keeps the, uh, allows the bend in the drive shaft to keep a perfect circle because if it weren't, uh, it would spin out of joint and eventually it would rip itself apart. And so that yoke is what attaches the two sides together and uh, spent more than one hour replacing universal joints to make the yoke function as it should. Uh, it is a permanent bond. And so Isaac, I, I mean, Isaac here is telling his son Esau that when you come into your own dominion, you're going to break that yoke. Your brother is no longer going to be your superior. And, of course, we saw that happen as Jacob returned to the land and uh, uh, he gave all of those presents to Esau and Esau and Jacob were then, from that point on, as equals. Uh, if we want to go to Leviticus, it's used again in this same way, talking about the bondage that Israel had in Egypt. And the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, Leviticus 26, let's get there. And uh, we'll just read verse 13. It says, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen. And I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. And, and so... The Lord is commanding Israel. It says, listen, I am the one that set you free from the bondage or the yoke of Egypt. And oftentimes we in America, we try to think of things and, and we, we uh, say, well, why didn't people just throw off the yoke? Uh, kind of like what we did with the American Revolution. Uh, but you'll have to remember that we as Americans had a great deal of freedom before the revolution. And that's why we were able to do that. Many people, the children of Israel, were made slaves. They had no choice. Uh, their children were killed by the Egyptians under the tyranny of Pharaoh. It was not something that they had a choice about. And, and God says, listen... If you are going, I am the God that broke the bonds of that slavery in Egypt, but I want you to follow my law. Or I'm going to remove my freedom. And that's a theme that is through uh, the Bible. 
One other time that this is used, let's go to um, let's go to Second Chronicles. It's um, possibly stated just uh, a little more fully there in Second Chronicles chapter ten. And this is the story of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. He is coming to the kingdom after Solomon, his father, has died. And uh, we have here in verse 2 of that chapter, And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was in Egypt, whither he had fled from the presence of Solomon, the king heard of it, that Jeroboam returned out of Egypt. And they sent and called him. So Jeroboam and all of Israel came and spake to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of thy father and his heavy yoke that he put upon us, and we will serve thee. And... uh, We don't have time to deal with all of this tonight, but... Uh, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to understand the plea of the ten northern tribes of Israel because uh, there, there was no grievous yoke during the days of Solomon. In fact, it was the uh, most wealthy time for all of the children of Israel. The kingdom had reached uh, the pinnacle of peace and prosperity. In fact, the only jobs that the children of Israel had were overseers. Uh, they went into uh, Lebanon to get the timber. The children of Israel were not the laborers. It was the Canaanites that were still in the land. It was others that were put to the labor. But they, they considered this a yoke of bondage. And we get down here to, uh, let's look at uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 9. Or uh, verse 8, it says, But he, Rehoboam, forsook the counsel which the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him and stood before him. And he said unto them, What advice give ye that we may return answer to this people which have spoken to me, saying, Ease somewhat the yoke that thy father did put upon us. Verse 10, And the young men that were brought up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou answer the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it somewhat lighter for us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins. For whereas my father put a heavy yoke uh, upon you, I will put more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. And of course, Jeroboam, I mean, Rehoboam answered Jeroboam with those words, and we had the split in the kingdom. And, uh, uh, but the whole idea of authority and leadership, this thing called a yoke, it's, it's a bondage, it's a permanent uh, connection here. It is being under the authority. In Jeremiah, we have another interesting picture here. In Jeremiah chapter 27, we have the Lord coming to Jeremiah. And in verse 2, it says, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord to me, Make thee bonds and yokes and put them upon thy neck. 
So uh, Jeremiah the prophet was to take and to uh, get timber and make a yoke and he was to put it on his own neck and he walked around Jerusalem like this. And then he took that yoke and he was supposed to send it to the king of Moab and the king of Edom and the king of Ammon and uh, all of these different nations that lived around him. And he says, this is what the God of Israel says. Submit yourselves to the bondage of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. If you don't, God is going to judge you. And let me tell you, the Babylonians were not nice people. Uh, it, things did not just... It, I mean, they were the ones that ripped Daniel and his companions from uh, the city of Jerusalem, carried them off to Babylon, educated them in the Babylonian language, changed their names, tried to change their food, and everything they knew and understand, they tried to make Chaldeans out of them. Praise God, it didn't work for Daniel and his three companions, but we don't know how many other children of Israel did work on. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we know that there were far more than four young men that were taken into captivity, and most of them we did not hear from. Why? Because they didn't stay true to the Word of God. And now we get to chapter 28, and it came to pass in the same year, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month that Hananiah, the son of Azor, the prophet, which was of Gibeon, spake unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priest and of all the people, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessel of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon." And I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So here we have um, in the fourth year. So this is uh, actually several years, four years under Zedekiah. The beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, which was rather short. And uh, so it's been almost five years. Jeremiah has been walking through the streets of Jerusalem wearing this yoke. And proclaiming to the children of Israel that they need to serve the king of Babylon. They need to be in submission to him and come under his authority. And all of a sudden, this guy named Hanani comes up and he begins to prophesy... Uh, four years down the road, that God is going to return the captivity. And you'll notice here, uh, I kind of uh, like this in Jeremiah, verse 5 of chapter 28. Then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah, in the presence of the priest and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord, even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words which thou hast prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. Nevertheless, here's what Jeremiah is saying. 
Oh, that'd be wonderful. Amen. I wish that were true. Nevertheless, hear now thou this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people, the prophets that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. The prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and brake it. And Hananiah spake in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Verse 13, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, and I have given him the beast of the field also. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off of the face of the earth this year, Thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year, in the seventh month. So he, Hananiah, from the time he broke that yoke until he died was less than two months. This is, God's not playing games when he uses the word yoke. It is a bondage. The the servitude of Nebuchadnezzar, he killed Many thousands of Israel, he subjugated them. Finally, he came and he laid waste the entire city of Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant, the candlestick, all of those things that uh, were the precious treasures were lost. When they rebuilt the temple 70 years later, there was no Ark of the Covenant. And contrary to popular belief, Whatever that guy with the funny hat is didn't find it either. Uh, there, there is no one knows where the Ark of the Covenant. But let me, let me tell you this though. This uh, I'm not remembering the exact year, but uh, you'll remember back in little history they started some excavations in the caverns under the Temple Mount. All of the stones that Solomon used to build the temple were. <coughs> excuse me, were literally carved out of the mountain on which the temple sat. And there were caves. There are still caves to this day under there. And they began to, the Jewish people began an exploration of some of those caves trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. And that's when the Arab world went mad. And started murdering Jews and starting an uprising, the Infatata, I believe it was called. And, and it was a very, very bloody time. And finally, the Israeli government said, uh, we cannot put up with this kind of unrest. And they've sealed those, two, those caves and no one has gone down there. They're not looking, but uh, I'll just throw this out at you. 
if they were to find the real Ark of the Covenant, do you think there is any power in this world that would stop the Jews from rebuilding the temple on the mount in Jerusalem? Uh, I, I tell you not. And the Bible says the temple will be rebuilt. Uh, how that's going to happen, none of us know. But it is interesting to think about. But back to our subject here, yokes. We need to understand here in the, uh, the figurative use of the word yoke is bondage. It is being under the control of. It, it is being uh, without a choice. And so uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 11 as Jesus uses the yoke. As a, as a picture, as an illustration, as a call to us. Matthew chapter 11. And let's just start with the verse 28. We'll read through the end of the chapter there, the last three verses. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as we look at these verses, Jesus is giving a plea. He's giving an invitation. He says, I want you to come to me that are weak that are heavy laden, uh, all ye that labor. And he says, I will give you rest. Well, how is he going to give us rest? He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, let's just take a moment here and apply this thing. What is a yoke? A, a yoke is bondage. Amen? Amen. It is control. Um, we have a group of independent Baptists. Uh, I think others have joined in the bandwagon over the years that, that uh, preach salvation without repentance. Uh, I want to challenge you that you cannot have salvation without repentance. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. The word repentance means to surrender. It means to turn around. Uh, uh, someone said, well, how in the world can you repent? Oh, how in the world can you do anything? You make a choice and you do it. But let me ask you a question. When it comes to being saved, uh, I love this illustration you take one step toward God, and God takes a step toward you. But His steps are a whole lot bigger than ours are. Amen? You see, as I surrender my will to God, repentance, as I turn around and bring my sin to Him, He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Who's doing most of the work? Actually, who's doing all of the work? Jesus is. Amen. You see, 
It's not about you, my friend. It's about Jesus. Amen? And he says, take my yoke upon you. This is a willful choice that you must make. Uh, those that claim the, um, the badge of Calvinism say that you can't make a choice. God has to make the choice for you. We're all robots. We're all programmed. He chooses who will be saved and who will be lost. Well, that makes these words absolutely meaningless, doesn't it? What kind of yoke would it be if God has already programmed everything? Everyone would be under the yoke. The sinner is under the yoke, under the authority of God to sin. Now, that part I cannot tolerate because the God of the Bible is not the author of sin. Here we see very clearly as we are supposed to take the yoke upon us. Now, what's that next phrase? Let's make sure we got it. Read it with me together. And what's that next word? Learn of me. Now, we've got to take a minute here and chase this thing, okay? Let's go to... Um, book of Second Peter. The book of Second Peter, and let's look at verse three. It says. According as his divine nature, I'm sorry, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, what's those next words there? Through the knowledge of him. Now, I hope you kept your finger in Matthew chapter 11 because I want you to just go back and, and read this again. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn. Of me, Do you think learning of Jesus and gaining a knowledge of Jesus would be the same things? Hello? Yeah? Really is. See, the interesting thing about a yoke is in order for animals to pull in a yoke, they have to be trained. Uh, you... Uh, you see the old Western movies and they got the horses pulling the, um, uh, the stagecoach and something happens to the hero's horse and he just cuts one loose out of the stagecoach and rides off. That doesn't happen in real life. You see, horses and animals are trained to work. And they're trained to work a specific way. And when you have two animals that pull in a yoke together, uh, in the olden days, in the Bible days, it would be oxen would be the primary animals of, of, of pulling. And if you've ever seen in the, in the Philippines, they still use oxen. In Africa and, and certain parts of Asia, they still use oxen. Why? Because they're the biggest, strongest, dumbest animals that we know about. Uh, and uh, it says that, uh, I was reading there, that an oxen can pull consistently 
20% of its weight. So you get an oxen that weighs 1,200 pounds. Uh, what does that work out to be? About uh, uh, 350 pounds, something like that. Uh, divide it by five, and you get a little over 200. I mean, uh, yeah. Not quite 300 pounds. So now you put two oxen together, and you double that. In fact, you actually get a little bit more because two oxen pulling together can do more than two oxen pulling separate. That yoke attaches them. But the only way that yoke works is those two oxen, as they are young oxen, have to be taught to pull together in the yoke. If you just took a yoke and two untrained oxen and put them together, they would start like this, pulling against each other until one of them gave up and died, literally. Um, I remember Brother Clayton telling the story of a man that uh, brought a set of matched mules to his uh, father, who was a blacksmith, to put shoes on them. And as they were leading... uh, one of the uh, mules out of the trailer, it reared up and hit its head against the top of the trailer and broke its neck and fell down dead. And he told the story of grown the, the owner of that team just literally breaking down and weeping. I mean, that would be a year's salary to get, maybe even two, to get a good team like that. And now they're ruined. One is no good without the other. They have to be trained from the time that they learn to pull, to to work in the yoke and to work with the yoke. This is why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Uh, That happens when we get born again, new life, baby, training, learn. All of those things are in, in, included here. You see, if we're going to take that yoke upon us, we're going to have to learn how to pull in the yoke, with the yoke, not against the yoke. And let me tell you, if Jesus is on the other side... How much pulling are you going to do against the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, Who's going to give up first? Uh, There's been at least one time, I think, with all of my children where uh, they were especially belligerent and I would just sit down with them and get right up in that little face and say, Now listen, I've been through this before. I can last longer than you can. Oh, go right ahead. I'll still be here when you're done. Hmm. It's amazing how much those little ones really understand about what's going on. You see, if we're going to take that yoke, we've got to learn how to pull with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's where the freedom that Jesus promised is. Have you ever, uh, almost always, we're working on something and I'll be carrying some fairly heavy object or something and one of my little ones said, Dad, can I help? And uh, I remember, I think it was Stephen. Of course, he can carry more than I can now. But when he, when he was little, we were moving some very heavy tables. and Let me help. And so... I made sure I got in the middle of the table, and I was carrying the table. But guess what? He was just a little peacock. I'm helping my daddy. You know what? The Lord lets us do that. Amen? But you've got to be in the yoke for it to happen. Otherwise, the, the pressures and the load will crush you. Do you think that's what Peter was talking about in First Peter when he says, Casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us? Oh, I, I think that's... You get locked in that yoke. You don't have a choice about where you're going. You know why? Because you're connected to the Savior. Amen? But who does most of the pulling? Well, the Lord does, doesn't He? He protects you from the pressures that are out there and the load that you are carrying because He is doing it. That's why the rest of this verse says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, And my burden is light. It is not easy and light because it weighs less and it takes no effort. It is easy and it is light because Jesus is the one carrying the load and carrying the main part of the force. And we get to walk along with Him in the work that He has called us to do. Now, we've got just a few more references, and then we'll try to wrap this all up. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. And this is the warning of an unequal yoke. We've already discussed this. If you unequally yoke two animals together, they will pull against each other until one of them is no longer capable of pulling. And verse 14 of chapter 6 of the book of 2 Corinthians says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Now, again, let's go back to look at the yoke to understand. That doesn't mean that you can't go to a store that's owned by an unsaved person and buy products. Okay? That's not a yoke. You're just purchasing things. But should you date with the potentiality of marriage someone who is unsaved? Uh let me tell you something. Marriage is a yoke. It is a bond. 
How about starting a business and investing with someone that's unsaved? I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who have teamed up. Well, they're, they're going to just provide the money. Well, wait a minute. You, they're going to provide a lot of other things too. Oftentimes, a lot of dishonesty. I've known people who have been left on the hook for the dishonesty of their unsaved partner because their unsaved partner took advantage of their morality to destroy them. Happens. Yoke is a bondage. It's something that you can't change. It's an irreversible contract. You, you need to be careful here. The Bible tells us that if we're going to be in a yoke with Christ, we can't take and add another yoke to that, to something that is against Christ. i tell you, there's many applications here. This is one of the reasons we're not part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Because the convention is a yoke. They control what goes on in the churches to varying degrees. Uh, if the Southern Baptist Convention bought your building, well, guess who owns it? The Southern Baptist Convention. That's why we didn't join the Southern Baptist Convention. We ask other churches and people to freely give, and we, as our church, did everything we could, and now our church owns our own building. That's one of the reasons why we don't have government programs going on. Guess what? I think it was Ronald Reagan said, uh, the closest thing to eternal life on earth is a government bureaucracy. Uh, Once it gets started, and you know what? You can't compete with the government. This is one of the problems with helping homeless people. Hey, they sign up, they get money every month from the government, Hey, our church can't compete with that. And it's so hard to give someone a hand out of the hole that they've dug for themselves because then they have to give up all that money. There's attachments there. You see, those are yokes. We go to Galatians chapter 5, and we're given another negative thing here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, the issue in Galatia was what we call Judaism. It was the Jewish quote-unquote believers, some of them were true believers in Christ, many of them were not. And they came into the churches of the Christians and they began to tell them, you got saved by grace, but if you're going to really be saved, you've got to do the same thing that all the Jews did. Uh, Ellen G. White followed that kind of reasoning when she founded what has now become the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Uh, I've read in her book, Just because you're saved by grace does not set you free from keeping the law. The only interesting thing is they don't keep the law. 
I used to taunt the caretaker of the building. We rented a Seventh-day Adventist building. We, we know what they do. And uh, uh, I said, you drive your cars to church on Saturday. That's breaking the Sabbath. I say, you're kindling a fire in every one of those cylinders every time it goes around. He said, well, God understands. Oh, okay. Wow. What a hypocrite. And I found a bottle of Mountain Dew in the cabinet. Caffeine. Oh, that's evil. No, it's not. You know what evil is? Evil is going to God with things and traditions that you have set and telling God that he ought to be pleased with you because you kept your own set of rules. That's evil. Don't allow the traditions of men to bring you into bondage because there is, this is what Jesus meant when he said, you know the Son and the Son shall make you what? Free indeed. How am I free when I'm locked into a yoke? I'm free to go wherever Jesus goes. Well, don't I get a say in it? Well, could we stop here and examine something? How well did you do before you got saved? Is there anybody that say I did better before I was saved than afterwards? Uh, no. Uh, I think it would be a very wise thing to submit to the direction and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, that's, that's why the warnings are here, because we can understand here. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. As we're trying to close this up, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul is talking. He says, uh, verse 3, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other of my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. If I am attached to Jesus and I am pulling in the furrow with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are yoked with Jesus and pulling in the furrow with the Lord Jesus Christ, shouldn't we be heading in the same direction? You know, years ago, we had someone in our church that said, well... I just feel that somebody's got to be the devil's advocate. Actually said that. You know, we can't all just agree with, with what you say. We, somebody needs to check you. And I'm sitting there going, you know something? The devil has plenty of advocates. There, there is no place for the devil's advocate in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see... The reason we have unity is because if you're attached to Christ and I'm attached to Christ, we should be heading in the same direction. You know what? Baptism shouldn't be a big deal. If it is, we know that there's other problems attached to that. Uh, serving the Lord in the context of the local church ought not be a big deal. That's, that's what the Bible teaches. Amen? 
And, and sometimes we have things where we say, I just don't know what to do. Well, it's very simple. You just keep doing what you know to do, and God will take care of the things you don't know to do. It's just that simple. You know why? Because you're attached. You're going to get taken where Jesus is going if you'll just stay in the yoke. Just stay attached to Him. That's what this whole thing is about. And we need to know that uh, you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's just turn there very quickly. This was a problem with many of the Christians because many of the Christians were of the caste of society, of the level of society. Uh, the Bible uses a very nice word. It uses the word servant. Uh, in modern day language, we would use the word slave. Uh, because these, it's talking about people who were actually owned by someone else. And here's what it says. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. Now, those are hard words. But you know what Jesus is saying here? Or Paul is actually telling Timothy to teach? If, if you find yourself saved in a position of slavery and forced servitude, It's okay to be thankful for where God has put you, where you are. God saves us where we are. Amen? And the servant is not to despise the master, even if he is saved, or vice versa, because our attachment is not to other human beings. Our first attachment is, has got to be to the Lord Jesus Christ. And people say, well, does the Bible then endorse slavery? Uh, I'll tell you what it does endorse. Not participating in the slave rebellions. And you read the stories. They're not nice. The Romans had several slave uprisings during the time of the Roman Empire and they were put down most cruelly. And slaughter of innocence was just part of the subjugation process. That didn't solve any problems. You know, you will find that rebellion against authority, even if it's a bad authority, normally does not solve the problem. Be in the yoke with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, even under communism, it was not Gorbachev and Margaret Thatcher. The number one black market item 
was a book called the Bible in the former Soviet Union. And when freedom was finally granted, now it's being taken away again. You need to pray for our missionaries and people who are working. The, the Soviet gulag system has not been shut down. Trust me. Just has a new name. All the same people if they're still alive and if they're not, people who were trained by them. Uh, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are serving God in, in those countries. You see, a yoke is a permanent bond. It's an attachment. Once you're in the yoke, you don't have a choice about what goes on. Because if you're in the yoke, it's there. you're there because you have learned and been trained to be there. That's why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He says, I am meek and lowly of heart. You know the way to get along the best in the yoke? Meek and lowly of heart. Not seeking my own, but seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Not lifting up my comfort and myself, but lifting up the Lord. That's meek and lowly of heart. That's what Jesus did to save me now, wasn't it? That's what he wants me to do to serve him. And I'll find rest pulling with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we get weary and well-doing, let's remember who's pulling the load. Amen? And let's remember that we willingly bolted ourselves into that yoke. And Jesus isn't going to let us go. Aren't you glad about that? And if we will pull with him, our life will actually count for something. Instead of being wasted on trying to please ourselves. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father...